Welcome to Wisconsin DNR's Wild Wisconsin Off the Record Podcast. Information straight from the source. Welcome back to another episode of Wild Wisconsin Off the Record. I'm your host, DNR's Digital Media Coordinator, Katie Grant. If you're a hunter in Wisconsin, you've probably heard about a little something called CWD. Now, you may be having any number of reactions to that phrase, and you may have any number of ideas about what CWD actually is, or even opinions on how the DNR, as stewards of Wisconsin's natural resources, should be managing it. But in our talks with the public, one thing is extremely clear. There is a lot of confusion over what CWD is, why we should be concerned, and how you can help. Today, we are here to talk about just that. A bit later in the episode, I sat down with a couple who last year wanted to get involved, so they volunteered with our Adopt-A-Kiosk and Adopt-A-Dumpster programs. But before we get to that, I sat down with Mandy Camps, a DNR wildlife biologist who specializes in CWD. Mandy helps us break down the science and gives us the basics of what CWD really is. All right, so CWD, or chronic wasting disease, belongs to a group of diseases known as transmissible spongiform encephalopathy. All right, let's stop right there. Big words. What yep. does that even mean? <laughs> so what that means, it's a, a, a prion disease, and it causes degeneration in the brain, uh, more of like a disorder that's characterized by these tiny holes that develop in the brain and start degrading that tissue. Okay. So you said another word in there, prion. What mm-hmm. is a prion? Mm-hmm. So a prion, it's a protein, but you think about it, it's it's malformed. It's in a different shape than what's normal. Okay. So proteins are um, normally found in the body, mm-hmm. but a prion protein, which causes CWD, the disease CWD, that's more abnormal. And so once an animal becomes in contact with that prion protein, then after some time, it starts um, degrading that tissue. And when that prion protein comes in contact with other proteins in the brain, it causes those proteins to become malformed in a different shape. And so that's where you kind of get that term um, chronic wasting. So it takes some time okay. to develop. So we have these prions, mm-hmm. which are the proteins that are kind of proteins gone bad folded wrong sure. some something's wrong with them right mm-hmm. and they are coming in contact with other proteins and making them also go bad if you will yes and that kind of makes holes in the brain tissue mm-hmm. right yep and that is what causes all these problems yes yeah, so you think about all the holes that are forming in the brain so it, it'll affect the brain function the nervous system function so once that starts happening then you can start to see that okay. an animal has a disease. But yes, that's what, ev- what essentially causes it. Okay. Well, that's, so. that's what's known, at least I should say. It's it's the most widely accepted um, information that it is the okay. prion that causes CWD. So these diseases are things that we're still kind of, kind of trying to wrap our heads around. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. These misfolded proteins or these abnormal proteins that have gone bad, how does a deer get get them. Sure. So when you have an infected animal, so a a deer um, that has CWD, that those prion proteins can actually be shed in like saliva, 
in urine, in feces, things like that. Okay. And when it's it's shed or released from that infected animal, it's in the environment. Okay. You know, it's on the ground. Um, it's on the leaves. And so when another animal who's a deer who's uninfected comes in contact with that, they can then, if they eat a leaf, for example, they could come in contact and ingest that prion protein, and that's how they could pick up the first one. Or like licking the the ground, if they take in soil, uh, direct animal contact, nose to nose, that can spread it as well between infected and uninfected deer. Okay. We mentioned deer. Mm -hmm. Do any other animals get this? With CWD, it is specific to deer species. So we're talking, at least in our state, white-tailed deer. Um, an elk could could be susceptible to it, but essentially CWD is a disease of deer, elk, and moose. Okay. So any of those species. Um, but as we said before, CWD is a transmissible spongiform encephalopathy, mm-hmm. or a TSE for short. Let's Th- go with that from now on. Thanks for saying that one for me so that I didn't have to say it. Yep. Um, and the TSE, um, it's within a family of other TSEs. So we think of like mad cow disease mm-hmm. that can affect cattle. Um, another disease, Creutzfeldt-Jakob, affects humans. So it's in a group of diseases that can um, affect other species, but CWD specifically affects deer species. Okay. okay. So it's similar to mad cow in a way, but it's mm-hmm. specific just to to deer, elk, moose. Correct. And there hasn't been any... Uh, confirmed research or studies out there that has shown that it is transmissible to people, but there is definitely a concern. So other organizations like the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control and even our state recommend to not consume meat from infected deer um, just on the chance. We don't know yet. There isn't enough research out there if it is transmissible to people, but there is potentially that risk. Okay. Is CWD always fatal to deer? It is a fatal disease. And it, it's a disease that takes some time to progress. So when a, a deer becomes infected, it'll be about maybe 18 months, two years until you actually see that the animal is infected and see those clinical signs, those symptoms, um, because it takes so much time. What happens is that when a deer becomes infected, those prion proteins will um, start to multiply, and it actually takes time. So you think about your your normal brain tissue. It'll take some time for those prion proteins to accumulate, those holes to form, and then once you reach the point where there's enough, then you'll start seeing those clinical signs, usually within the last couple months or a few months of life. Okay. So typically people who harvest a deer or um, maybe even just have one tested for for another reason, if it was hit by a car or whatever reason it might be, will say, oh, it didn't look sick, but it it may have just been to the point where that disease just wasn't far enough along to actually have the deer show those clinical signs. Within Wisconsin, I know we have some hot zones where like it, it's really highly concentrated and some spots where maybe it isn't as concentrated or maybe hasn't even been detected. What what does it look like on, on the state scale? How big of an issue is it? Like you said, we definitely have some hot areas down in the southern part of the state, a uh, couple areas there where it was first detected and it's still being detected now. But to, so far, um, to date, we have 56 of our 72 counties that are considered CWD affected. Okay. 
So that could be for a variety of reasons. Right. So that could be a county with a wild deer that tested positive, um, a captive deer from a deer farm that tested positive, um, or any counties that are within 10 miles of a wild or captive deer that tested positive. Okay. As a hunter, what what can I do to help? I'd say the first one, definitely get your deer tested. We have a number, a number of sampling options and locations statewide. Another important part is, you know, after you harvest your deer and you um, process it, then you have the leftovers. <laughs> and then what do you do with the leftover part of the carcass? And it's really thinking about some of those more proper carcass disposal options. You know, if there's a chance that a deer tested positive, it is best to get that part of the carcass uh, properly disposed of and not left on the landscape. As we mentioned earlier, there's a possibility of those prion proteins getting into the soil, into the vegetation, and being out there or a way that it's exposed to other uninfected deer that could come up to it and become infected. So definitely proper carcass disposal. And lastly, it's kind of a mixture of things. So we have a document that it's focusing on different ways to prevent the spread. So we have this available on our website. It includes things about, um, you know, the risks or not not baiting and feeding. You know, as again, as we mentioned earlier, with the transmission of CWD, it can be in close animal contact. So if you have more bait or a, a bait pile out on the landscape, there's a chance that multiple deer will be coming in contact with each other, and that could be a way to spread the disease. Um, and other things just about, um, you know, other pro- proper processing out in the field, um, using sp- certain urine-based scents, things like that. So definitely referring back to that document to see what else you can do to help prevent the spread. Okay. And if I'm not a hunter, mm-hmm. what can I do to help this? Yeah, I mean, any non-hunters can, can help out as well. They can help um, spread information about CWD. Uh, they can help out even with some of our other programs like the Adopt a Kiosk if they want to or Adopt a Dumpster. As Mandy mentioned, submitting your deer for testing and properly disposing of your carcasses are two of the best ways hunters can help limit the spread of CWD. And both hunters and non-hunters alike can help make that a little bit easier by participating in our Adopt programs. Now, two amazing Wisconsinites who volunteered for both of our ADOPT programs are Mitch and Elizabeth Baker. The couple live in Laval, Wisconsin, along the Baraboo River in Sauk County. Uh, I'm Elizabeth Baker. I'm a podiatrist that works at Reedsburg Area Medical Center. Um, I'm also a new mom. We just had a baby two weeks ago, so we're falling into that role. Um, I think gracefully. (laughs) It's definitely a big learning curve. I'm Mitch Baker. (laughs) <laughs> married to Elizabeth Baker. Um, I'm a carpenter, I work for myself, and I'm a bow hunter, I guess I would describe, and conservationist, and just really interested in being part of anything that has to do with conservation. So Fantastic. That's why we're here. Yeah. So part of why we brought you guys on is because you participated in some of our programming last year. Um, so last year was the first year of the Adumpt... Adopt, <laughs> adopt a kiosk and adopt a dumpster programs, um, and you guys helped us out with that. Can you tell us a little bit about how you heard that that we were putting this program together? You know, we've always participated in the in dropping our deer heads off at kiosks, and the kiosks have existed for a while. But um, 
we heard through a speaker at one of our conservation meetings that adopt you can adopt a dump a dumpster adopt a kiosk and um you know that was something that was right up our alley we we had already been asking our regional or local biologist about if they needed another place for a kiosk and if so we had a place in mind so um it it really lined up pretty pretty easily for us once once we heard that the department was asking for help in that area then you know i was i was out of town and liz called me and said we're i talked to eric canania (laughs) wildlife biologist and we're gonna adopt a kiosk I said, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I started bow hunting when we moved back to Wisconsin um, in 2016. Um, we bought this home here, and it had some acreage, and come to realize it was beautiful habitat for white-tailed deer and a lot of other species. So um, just through appreciating the land and learning more about it, we learned that um, we're in this area that's also, uh, unfortunately, high CWD prevalence selfishly. Um, looking at kind of how many deer we get per year, about four or five deer and about 50 pounds of meat per deer. It's quite a big grocery bill for us. <laughs> right. So selfishly, uh, I definitely wanted to stop the spread because the CDC and the World Health Organization recommend that you don't eat venison that tests positive. So for me being, you know, I'm turning 33 tomorrow. So I've got quite a few years of eating venison <laughs> left, um, plus having a a new little one here, um, plan on feeding her venison, and I certainly don't want to become case zero or case one. On the other side of it, you know, we have this valuable resource of white-tailed deer that's, um, you know, the wild herd, and there's really not a voice in the government um, to advocate for them. Um, Sportsmen and women are the ones that have to speak up. Mm -hmm. So it became very apparent when we would have conversations with other hunters um, and landowners that just didn't seem to have the uh, urgency about CWD that I think that we both felt um, to do something more than just hunt deer and get them tested. So first thing we did was reach out to our local deer biologist, who was Eric Cannonia, and he was excellent in helping facilitate getting a new kiosk really close to us so we could, A, adopt at a higher level, because there's three levels of adoption. Um, So we wanted to be able to actually help the DNR more other than just because um, the level one allows you to just drive by and let the DNR know if there's heads in the kiosk, but level two, we actually collect the heads um, and the data sheets, bring them to someone who harvests the lymph node. So it actually saves them time then from having to go around and do that part. So keeping it close to our home made it convenient, but also um, we felt like we were doing more. Right. And it's in a great place for people to be able to actually other hunters in the area to be able to get to. Yeah, it's right on Highway um, 33 there, right downtown in Laval. So a lot of hunting property um, in the area and a nice little thoroughfare between a couple counties. So we had, I don't know how many different counties dropped off at our kiosk. I It was five or six different counties yeah. were represented in people dropping, dropping deer heads off here. You really need to make it easier for people mm-hmm. in order to get to get them to do it and, right you know if you if you don't put something in some people's way they're not going to do it and we've just found that the more we can do to to facilitate that <clears throat> everything's going that way i mean you can amazon you know you can shop 
everything's delivered to your door. You can order groceries ahead of time and have them dropped off at your car and you just pull up. <laughs> so convenience is definitely a factor. I think um, that's kind of the way our um, kind of culture overall is shifting sure. to. Um, so making it more available, more convenient, um, I think would help facilitate higher participation in, in getting members tested. Yeah, yeah. How involved was this for you? How much of your time did it take? What all what all was in, included in, in, in volunteering with this? The kiosk by far was more time uh, involvement um, because we're essentially replacing that role that the DNR staff have to do by checking the kiosk, you know, transferring the, the heads and the collecting the data sheets and calling up the hunters that didn't fill in the forms um, appropriately to double check the information. So the kiosk portion was more time dependent, um, but the setup was really simple and straightforward. Um, the dumpster was the opposite, a little bit more invested up front with um, the cost of ordering the dumpster and knowing they have to um, pay for it. Um, but having it placed out there and then just checking what was it once, twice a week, just to see if there wasn't anything else other than deer carcasses in the dumpster, um, that kind of basically ran itself. Did you guys like stand out at the kiosk at all and like staff it, if you will, or was it more just the hands off? It was more hands off. Um, during the gun deer season, I went down there because I knew there would be a, a high volume and I wanted to make sure that we had the data sheets in stock. And, and so when I went down there at that time, I did interact with a lot of hunters. They were, it was kind of a steady stream, which was nice. I really liked that part. And mm-hmm. then you can show them exactly how to get the forms filled out properly and help them understand what the purpose of all the information is. So um, that was actually enjoyable, and I actually plan on spending a little more time down there this year during the gun deer season. You've talked about, like I said, the why behind why you did it. You guys have been really great at helping us get the word out about this. I mean, you, you were obviously um, welcoming enough to, to have me come into your home today. Why are you so passionate about telling people about this program and, and getting them to also be a part of it? It's really enjoyable to um, have conversations with people and kind of open up some avenues for others to step into a conservation role. So a big part of it for me is um, being able to educate others. That's basically what I do for my job most of the day in clinic. So I found that really enjoyable when we would call the hunters um, because that first thing I do is congratulate them and tell them how excited I was and then ask them the information they needed, but then also ask them if they had any questions about chronic wasting disease. So um, so for me, being able to communicate the information about how serious chronic wasting disease is um, and why it's important to get your deer tested, that's been kind of the avenue that I've really enjoyed. And I found a group, um, the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, that um, were spreading that same message. And so I became a member um, two years ago and then became a board member a year ago. So um, kind of stepping up into these roles where we just need voices. We need people talking about it, saying the right information um, in a positive way and not in a um, futile way. You'll hear that a lot. You know, there's nothing you can do. Chronic mm-hmm. disease is There's a lot of uh, misconceptions and uh, myths out there that are 
perpetuated every day. Um, to those that do want to listen, that ask questions, um, they're very open-minded and they're very eager to learn and to do more. So I feel like there's a, a cultural shift happening um, and it's very exciting. So I think I get fueled by people's interest um, and wanting to do more. So I feel like I need to say more yeah. and spread that message. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I've been, I've been hunting throughout the process since CWD showed up here in Wisconsin. So, you know, I remember the, the, the talk back then people were real serious about it they didn't understand what it was, but they, they knew that it sounded bad. And more recently, it seems like, especially in our area here where, where the prevalence is growing, it's, it had seemed as though it kind of got swept under the rug or for some mm-hmm. people, a lot of people, a lot of people that have been hunting a long time, just, just took a different approach and are, are looking at it differently. I think they, they saw, they see deer, you know, they see deer out on the landscape. No one's so far as contracted any kind of progressive neurological brain disease from eating CWD infected meat. So there didn't seem to be yeah. urgency to it. Why worry? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, this was supposed to be a terrible thing back when it started. And I still see so many deer around that it quit. It can't be as bad as it was, was made out to be in the beginning. And, and, we've had that conversation many times and and started having it at our outdoor club mm-hmm. and that's where we really realized that you can make a difference in educating people when I first started talking about it at our board meetings and I wasn't a board member I just started showing up and talking to these guys and they're the you know the typical age hunter you know 60 years old mm-hmm. you know the the upper age class of hunters, if you will. <laughs> the seasoned age class. The seasoned, the seasoned <laughs> hunters. Um, you know, when I started talking about it, they really looked at me like I was just a fool. You know, we mm-hmm. don't have to. But there were a few that would ask questions. And over time, they're really interested. And by by the end of the gun season last year, they were talking about people that they knew that weren't testing their deer and they were kind of talking down about them. And six months earlier, they hadn't even considered testing deer. Right. So All the cool kids are doing it. Yeah. So it was a really, really an interesting shift mm-hmm. that I didn't necessarily expect, but yeah. And, and chronic waste and disease. I mean, this is a, a pathogen that is not like anything anyone really has ever encountered in their lifetime, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're so used to bacteria and viruses causing disease. Um, this prion that can't be destroyed by any means that's practical in the landscape. It has a very high infectivity rate in the wild deer herd. It's spread by multiple means, human assisted and deer, um, you know, deer movement and just deer behavior. And so it's, it's extremely complex. So I, I don't blame hunters and, and the public for not being so concerned about it because the science has been changing so much since it first came out as well. Um, it's confusing. Uh, very confusing because uh, there's no treatment as far as we know. It's not something that we can actually eradicate um, from the environment at this point. All we can really do is, um, like our good friend Doug Duran says, is buy time for science. So 
Um, and that's buy all time, our mission is right now. What? Buy time, pay for science. Buy time, pay for science. There you go. Um, so, and, and that's, I mean, that's the great message because in our area, you know, we have it. We have it at high prevalence. There's really not a whole lot we can do other than slow it down from spreading. And any surrounding county, um, any other county in the state, should be on board with as many efforts as we can do to stop the spread in our area because this is where it'll jump out to other areas as well. So obviously getting more dumpsters and more kiosks in the areas that have a very high prevalence Mm -hmm. is important. Mm -hmm. But what would your argument be for maybe someone in a county that hasn't had any CWD in the wild? Why should someone there get involved? I'll quote Doug again. If you don't have it, you don't want it. <laughs> um, and that's, that's quite simply, you know, this is a disease that we don't have a treatment for. Any county that has hunters that, that um, want to have a dumpster should be able to have a dumpster because this is like the basics 101 of stopping the spread is keep it where it's at. I think in the last year, there's been a really positive push by counties that don't have CWD and maybe counties that just have had one or mm-hmm. two positive or close by or close by and we're seeing CWD task force pop up in different counties and they're putting together a plan for if CWD shows up how to prevent it from showing up first of all mm-hmm. And if it does show up, this is what our plan is. It's, it's a fight worth fighting, and it's, it's something that's really important for a lot of different groups, not just hunting groups, but you know, local economies. If, mm-hmm. if these hunting areas get inundated with CWD and people stop going to that area to hunt, that has an impact on the economy in that area, too. For sure. And property values. I mean, this is... Deer hunting in Wisconsin, I've come to learn, is a huge economic yes. driver. Um, billions of dollars we're talking about in small towns. Um, and I think that people don't appreciate how hunters, hunter dollars, um, you know, when you buy a license to hunt deer, a portion of that goes into a, a larger pot for other conservation projects that happen throughout mm-hmm. the state. It could be restoring a, a dock for bird watchers. It could be um, or a boardwalk for board, uh, bird watchers. It could be restoring a dock at a lake. It's just um, the amount of dollars that go in to the pool to help other conservation projects that comes from deer hunting is astounding. And so we're, we're facing a disease that could potentially um, and is actually starting to show deer herd declines in certain... Um, in western areas, the, the research has shown in Wyoming, Colorado, a couple different studies have shown that there is a population level impact due to CWD in there in, right. in that area. When it so. gets to a high enough prevalence, so we're reaching those prevalence numbers in Wisconsin, and that's I think the that's what raised the big alarm bells for us was that this is something that could potentially stop the deer from being able to be hunted mm-hmm. in a matter of a decade or so when our daughter might want to start hunting. Um, so the the real issue is that this is a long term. Um, issue. This is a, a marathon, not a sprint, and that we need to think about the health of the deer in the next 20, 30 years. And keeping that focus, um, 
that will help drive some of the efforts that are happening now that would potentially make a positive impact in the future. Anything else about the Adopt-A-Kiosk or Adopt-A-Dumpster program that you think we should know? I would say that, you know, we've talked about the Adopt-A-Dumpster a little bit, but not only is it a way to try to keep CWD from spreading to different counties or spreading in your own county, it's a way to keep deer carcasses off the landscape. Everybody who shoots deer has to get rid of that deer somewhere, and too often it's a case we see deer carcasses in ditches or mm-hmm. on public lands or in a you know, stuck in culverts because they wash down the ditch to plug up a culvert. Um, It's really important to just keep those carcasses off the landscape for the image of hunters. Yeah, I, you know, the adopt a kiosk and adopt a dumpster, we did both this year. I don't think we had originally planned on doing both, but the program kind of developed and so we definitely wanted to jump on board. I think that as far as a big picture, you know, it can seem daunting um, or time consuming, but, you know, we both have full-time jobs and found some time after work to volunteer some hours. And so um, it's going to take more than just hunters wanting to participate, but there's several levels to participate. You know, there's the entry level, which is just checking the kiosk if there's samples there to be tested and then notifying um, the DNR and then like what we did the intermediate level, which was a little bit more involved um, with the data and transporting the the heads to get sampled. And then the advanced level, which is maybe what we'll do this year, which is where we'll actually learn how to sample the lymph nodes so that we just have to extract them or extract them. Yeah. Um, So that's just what's comfortable for us. That's kind of where we see that we're going, but um, anyone who's willing to volunteer with, um, if you don't have to adopt a kiosk yourself, at least get a group together and then share that responsibility. Someone check a different day of the week, um, the kiosk, or for the dumpster itself. But it's going to take more than just hunters. We need um, conservation groups. We need people that don't hunt to care. Um, and when we all come together, I think that we'll be able to actually make a, an impact um, at slowing this down so that it's not going to spread and um, become a very big problem for the wild deer herd in the state. In my mind, I'd rather look back and find out that we did more than we really needed to than look back and find out that we did less than we should have. And that, to me, is the bottom line. Yeah. Spend a little more time now and do as much as we can, and we won't regret doing a little more than we needed to. Yeah, I agree. You know, this... This is a disease that affects, you know, our wild deer herd, and it's not impossible to to stop it from spreading, to slow it down. Um, we just have to take action now if we want to see any effect down the line. And I agree, I'd rather be proven wrong in 10, 20 years that this was not going to jump into, you know, a human disease. I, I hope for that. I pray for that. But until that is a zero percent chance. Um, I think we'll do everything we can because we care about the resource and we care about um, ensuring it for the future, for future generations. So um, that's the bottom line, and we're going to fight that fight. 
Let's thank our guests, Mandy Camps and the Bakers, for joining in on this important discussion. If you'd like to know more, or if you'd like to participate in our adoption programs, email us, dnrpodcast at wisconsin.gov. We'll be taking a short break with the Labor Day holiday. We'll be back with new episodes every other Wednesday starting September 11th. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.